Crime Time Tuesday. Hello, my fellow true crime creeps. I'm Tony. I'm back with another case, though this is a much more rural case. And Derek is here with me. He's so excited. Hello. There he is. There is. He's excited. You hear the excitement in his voice. So, I feel like I'm just going to jump right in. I don't really like to banter a lot, at least when I listen to podcasts. I just, I want, I want the story. Give me the fucking story. I want the juice. I want the details. I will give you a disclaimer, though I have given disclaimers on some of our conspiracy episodes and on our other true crime episodes. This one does involve children. Um, so, if children are a trigger for you then this might not be for you. Though I will point out that there is no sexual assault because I know that that is one of my quote-unquote triggers. Um, what exactly is a trigger? A trigger is something that is upsetting, makes you angry, makes you sad, makes you uncomfortable. It's just, you know, it's just a word that people use to, like, give give someone a heads up, a warning. Like, hey... This is your warning that you might get triggered on something that I say or that I do or, you know, the information that's involved with this. So, yeah. Uh, if harm to children is not your thing, this episode might not be for you. Which, obviously, it's no one's thing. It's no one's thing. Uh, duh. Okay. But I know, like, for me, if there is someone who is mentally incapable of taking care of themselves or elderly people or kids, anything sexual assaulty with that, I cannot and will not listen to. Um, there's just certain things that I can't handle myself. You know, certain things, yes, they're all bad, but there's just certain things that I can't handle because it just either hits too close to, like, you know, I worked in a nursing home my whole life, so I've worked with the elderly really, really closely. I've had babies of my own. So certain things that happen in that aspect I just can't you know can't do it so I understand so if harm to children is one of your triggers you just press the skip button and join us next week as that one will not involve small children um you good if we jump in you good feel free all right this case is one that hits very close to home it's probably about I don't know, 30 minutes or so from here in River Falls, Wisconsin. River Falls, Wisconsin, compared to where Derek and I live, is fairly big. Um, it's a college town. It's got about 15,000 people. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking 15,000 people. That's nothing. Well, we're from, I, I don't know, what, a thousand, you'd guess? Roughly. That's that. Yeah, we live in like a blip of a town, if you can even call it that. Um I think we got a post office and a couple bars. That's about it. So, um, so River Falls, Wisconsin, not far from here. So when this case happened, July 10th, 2012, it kind of shook, um, our small town community. It was very, um, gut wrenching. I mean, everybody around here knows everybody. So, you know, it's just, it's very hard when something like that hits so close to home, especially when we're not used to crime at all. I mean, people don't lock their cars, they don't lock their homes. We're just not used to anything in general happening, let alone something so horrific. Um, and this story starts out with a phone call. And the man says, you can come home now. I've killed the kids. 
Now, we're going to jump back to what led to this phone call. Uh, Aaron and Jessica Schaffhausen were married in 2000. They had three beautiful daughters, 11-year-old Amara, 8-year-old Sophia, and 5-year-old Cecilia. Um, Jessica would later say that they're... You know, most marriages, I mean, they, they met, let's see, let's see, when this happened, Aaron was 34 years old, been together 12 years, so he was 22. So, you know, they met young, married relatively young, started a family. Um, a lot of times what happens is, at least I can say from my own experience, that when you become pregnant, the woman typically grows up a lot faster than the man. I think women do in general anyway. But throw pregnancy and babies into the mix and women just grow up faster. They have a higher expectation of what needs to happen because their sole, like, purpose at that point becomes taking care of these kids. And for dads, it's not, not saying that it's not the same way because, like, you know, I've been married twice. Both of my husbands have been vastly different as far as parenting goes. But in general, men take longer to grow up. That's just, I mean, it's pretty typical. Um... And I think that's kind of the reason why. So in 2012, um, actually in 2011, they mutually filed for divorce. It was finalized um, January 2012. However, from the sounds of it, it didn't really sound so mutual. It sounded more one-sided to me and more like Aaron just didn't have a choice. Jessica wanted out of that marriage. She said that he was depressed from the day that she met him and, you know, again, all young couples, especially women, I want to fix them. I can change him. He opens up to me, so it'll be fine. You know, we all have thought that pretty much the reason for my first marriage as well. You know, that's just, I don't know why we think that. It's dumb. Ladies, stop doing it. Fucking stop. It's ridiculous. You can't change him. Get over it. But she said the only thing that remained constant in their marriage, according to Madison.com, was the fact that he played video games a lot. It kind of sounded like he maybe couldn't hold a job all that well. Um, and just kind of, that was his main priority. Not parenting, not being a husband, but games. Although, uh, apparently he has some sort of a trust fund of some kind. Um, I kind of think so. So that'll get brought up a little bit later. Um, he does somehow get some money from his family. I'm not exactly sure how, if it's a trust, if it's a an inheritance or I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I do know that he gets money somehow from his family. That'll get brought up later. Um, but yes. So that's not happening when they are first married. It, it might've been, but from what I read on, I can't remember if it was startribune.com or if it was madison.com, but it was only brought up after the fact. It was not brought up at any time in my readings or anyway that they got it during their marriage, but it's possible. Probably likely. Cause you know, I mean, three kids, mom working and dad, possibly not odds are, you know, they probably needed more money than she was bringing in. Maybe not. I mean, I've been a single mom before. I know I made it work, but it was tough, but I had one kid, not three. Yeah. So that's a pretty big difference in expenses. Um, but so anyway, January, of 2012, so just a few months um, before that phone call, um, they divorced. <clears throat> and it, though they had joint custody, 
Aaron went to Minot, North Dakota to live. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know this 100%, so don't quote me, but my guess is that he moved out there possibly for work because I know around here, because it is rural, a lot of laborers, if there's if there's slow work or no work or anything like that, they'll, they'll typically go to South Dakota or North Dakota to work in like the oil fields um, to get some kind of, I wouldn't say easy cash, but like that's where the work is. Yeah, the the work that's where the work is, and you can get quite a bit of money, and you work like really long days, so, really long hours. So sometimes like six, seven days a week, you know, pushing 70, 80 hours a week. That's what your dad did as, Re- when you were a kid, right? Well, my dad was a construction. But he would go to guy. North Dakota. Yeah, he would go. My dad would go to North Dakota, South Dakota for work all the time. Sometimes for weeks at a time. Sometimes it would be you know just on the weekend to make extra cash, whatever. But he did construction work, so he wasn't doing a lot of the oil field work per se. He was an excavator, so you know he was doing he was doing that kind of work. Um, but he also traveled, and I know several people to this day that still do that to to make money, because um, you make quite a bit of money in like a short period of time because you're out there for say you're out there for a couple months. You're probably working every goddamn day all day long, so you're making a bulk money at, at once, and sometimes they'll even like. I think they even, like, help with, like, I think you have a place to stay. Um, Probably help with, like, food stuff, too. Or if it's just you, you're not really, you know, spending too much money on food if it's just you. Anyway, so though they had joint custody, it sounded like the girls primarily lived with the mother in River Falls. Um, So Aaron moves out. Jessica remains in the home with the daughters. Um, And now we fast forward to July 10th, 2012. Uh... Aaron had texted his ex-wife, Jessica, for kind of an impromptu visit with his daughters. Um, Jessica didn't really find it too weird. Um, more a little bit uncomfortable just because she didn't want to see him. So I'm guessing, you know, because of the divorce and everything, I'm, I'm sure there was aftermath fighting and disagreements and, you know, just uncomfortable, just uncomfortableness uh, around them. So she had requested that he be gone by mid-afternoon by the time she got home from work, which is about three o'clock. Um... The kids were at home with a babysitter, so Jessica lets the babysitter know, like, look, their dad's coming by um, to see them, so, you know, you're more than welcome to go home. So he gets there, you know, around noonish. Um, after having said that he's on his way, basically, he wants to see him, and babysitter lets him in, and she was there long enough to see that the kids were very excited. All three girls were, you know, screaming, jumping, excited, you know, daddy, daddy, come look at this. They wanted to show them their, their stuff, their toys, you know, everything in their room. They just, they, they wanted him to see that. Um, and with that, the babysitter felt comfortable and went home. Um, so, you know, if he got there around noon and Jessica was supposed to be home around three, it wasn't, too long into this situation that obviously things had kind of gone awry there. Um, Jessica gets that phone call with Aaron telling her, you can come home now, I've killed the kids. Um, He hangs up. Jessica probably literally swallowed her own heart and dropped right into her stomach at that point, calls the cops, um, and they get there about 3.30 p.m. Uh, I believe Jessica was not far behind. Um, when the police arrived there, Aaron wasn't there. From what they could tell, nobody was there. There was no movement in the house. There was, you know, nothing going on at that 
at that time. Um, when they walk in, they find a can of gasoline on the ground with gasoline on the also on the ground. So there's a can sitting there, gasoline around it, whether it was spilled or intentionally dumped. Inside the house. Inside the house. So they walk in. They see that on the ground. Um, it had not been lit. It had not been attempted to be lit. So I don't know if at some point, you know, Aaron couldn't go through with his plan, if he panicked or what what, what have you. I don't know what the case may be. He did not try to light it, but they found a can of gasoline um, with gas on the ground. Police are searching the house and they come upon a terrible scene. According to StarTribune.com, police found each girl in her bed, a blanket drawn up to her neck, dried blood on each of their faces. Can you imagine being a police officer stumbling upon that? You know, each girl looked as if they were simply sleeping, tucked in by their father. You know, blood on their face. I just can't. Horrible. I just can't even imagine, you know, again, with small town um, stuff like this, like cops are used to, you know, dumb shit, you know, intoxicated fights, maybe some drinking and driving, you know, cornfield bonfires, stupid shit like that, you know, parties, stuff like that. They're not used to this. Um, And I can't imagine seeing that scene and being okay after that. I just, I can't even imagine. Um, uh, it was discovered that each of the three girls, Amara, Sophia, and Cecilia, had all had their throats slit. Um, the only other evidence of physical trauma was on little five-year-old Cecilia, who had also been strangled. Um, it's never been said why that she had both strangulation and a cutthroat, but um, I, I, who knows what, you know, who knows why why that happened. Maybe maybe when he was doing, you know, hurting them physically, maybe it didn't work on Cecilia for some reason and he had to strangle her or vice versa. He strangled her first and then decided that wasn't working and therefore instead of trying to strangle all three of his kids, which would take a long time, they'd always say that it takes around three minutes of physical strength brute strength to strangle someone so maybe that wasn't working and he maybe she unfortunately was first and he decided to use a knife after that the knife was found um Aaron in the meantime this is why he wasn't at the home Aaron had actually gone and turned himself into the River Falls police station um so I guess in some retro weird spec, he did the right thing after the fact. And that's why the gasoline is kind of interesting. Like, you know, was he in a fit of rage? Was he depressed at that time? And then kind of after he had done what he'd done, had he kind of snapped too? And like decided, okay, I'm not going to burn the house down. This is like, did he, what, what happened? Like, obviously that tells me he had some level of, even how minor in such a gruesome, horrible thing, and he's a fucking piece of shit. But did he have some sort of realization or some sort of act of conscience, you know, at that moment to which stopped him from also burning the house down and all the evidence and everything, and then therefore turning himself in? Yeah. 
you do have to wonder that. Um, the um, So he's obviously arrested. He eventually pled guilty, but insane. That's the way they worded it. Guilty, but insane. That's, that's the way he worded it. Um, so his attorney... I, I'm, I hope I'm not going to say this wrong. Kuczynski? Kuczynski? Um, tried to help um, point out his insanity. You know, even his ex-wife had said that, you know, he'd been depressed his whole life. Um, my guess, again, don't quote me, my guess is that that's part of the reason for their divorce was not only was he depressed, but he probably really didn't try to help himself during their 12 years of being together. Did, did he go and get medication? Did he try? Did he see a counselor? If you do nothing and you're not willing to help yourself, you know, it's hard to stay with someone who's not really willing to help themselves because you can't do it all. You can't work. You can't take like, your kids in the house and also try to be a counselor for someone who's not even giving a fuck and trying to help them own, their own selves out. Um, so Judge Howard Cam Cameron would say that um, it would have taken... 10 of the 12 jurors for an insanity plea. Um, it took only three and a half hours for jurors to decide that they didn't feel that he was insane. They felt that he did know right from wrong. And he got three consecutive life sentences and an attempt at arson. Um, he is now in Wapan Correctional Facility. And he gets, like, any money he earns in prison... And money that he gets from his family. So that's what Derek was talking about earlier. Like a trust fund or a inheritance. Or or maybe his family just sends him money. Who knows? Like to, to have money in prison. Who, who fucking knows? Well, everyone that's in prison, if they have family, sends money so that they can give food. Right. So it sounds like a cumulative. It's about $14,000. A fourth of that money goes to Jessica from the sounds of it. Um, which, I, I mean, I guess that's fucking something. You know, you what I, I, I don't know i wouldn't want his dirty ass money but i guess it's something maybe she could put it towards her own counseling or what i don't know if it were me i don't know what the fuck i'd do with it i'd probably just i don't know burn it i don't even know i don't know what i'd do with it i would try to do something good with it i guess because you know what do you do after something so horrific like this um yeah what do you do with, like, that's literal, like, bribe blood money, kind of, you know, in a sense. Like, no, it's not bribing whatever, but it's like, here, hope this, here's a band-aid for this horrible crime that I've committed. Um, so the girls' funeral was held July 17, 2012 at Kilcarney Hills Golf Club in River Falls. Um, the aftermath of this Though this case is really sad and dark and gruesome, um, there is a little bit of light, I guess. If you can flip a negative into a positive, this is this is the one way that they did that. Um, after all of this, the house itself was dismantled and the materials were donated to Habitat for Humanity. Then... The land on which the house sat was sold, and the money earned from that land was used to build a park, well, a playground within a park called Tri-Angels Playground at Hoffman Park. Um, the designs of that playground uh, references each little girl, Amara, Sophia, and Cecilia. Um, it's brightly colored, and it's just beautiful, and it's a really nice uh, memorial for those three little girls. So 
taking something so horrific and something so dark and twisting that into a positive and a wonderful something for all the people that knew Jessica and Amara and Sophia and Cecilia. Like, if there was anything that could be positive from this, this was it. You know, like, what what better way to not only remember them and remember their story and their lives and just celebrate them than a playground for them. Um, and their home with, again, such brutality in it going towards something that will help someone else. There's no other better way that I could think of for two kind of horrible pieces turned into positive pieces. Um, Jessica has since remarried. She now has more children and she deserves every happiness in the world and good for her for learning to trust again, to love again. Um, I just, I, I, I mean, it takes a strong person to overcome something so horrible, push through that and find a new purpose in life, a new meaning and, and still, you know, having her daughters at heart, obviously, but to, to push through that and to, to remarry, that's just amazing. Like I just, you know, people have damage themselves for a lot less, you know, in relationships. Like, people have trust issues for literally no reason and therefore trust no one ever. But this woman literally has shown some courage and some heart here. So, good on her. I don't think I'd be able to uh, do the same, to be honest. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I could either. It would, it would take a lot of soul searching, for sure. Like, I don't know. There is obviously nothing that's ever going to fill that void. But if you could find love and have children again to kind of help with that. Because now she gets to tell a kind of a bright story to her now children. You know, about the older sisters they could have or would have had. And now they get to play at that playground and still have like a piece of them, you know, like, I think that that is beautiful. And I love that they tore down the house and used that for Habitat for Humanity because like you and I were talking the other day, like I, I don't know why people do this. I don't know where it started. I'm going to look it up and find out why this started. But like if someone gets into a car accident or I guess any accident, hunting accident, whatever, they'll put like a little cross or flowers or something in that exact spot where that person passed away. I don't fucking understand this. Like, me personally, I'm not going to have any trouble remembering exactly the fucking place that my loved one died. I don't need any more reminders. I don't need a cross. I don't need flowers. Wherever I am going to have my loved ones buried, I will go visit them there. I don't want to remember that spot. I don't remember that moment ever. I want to remember them for what they were, who they were, what, how did they impact my life. So I don't understand that. So the fact that they got rid of this house, so it's not just a constant horrific reminder to this town, to this family, to these people. And then to not only just take it down, but to use it to give to someone else. That's beautiful. Like, it's just amazing. I'm so happy they did that. Um... Another thing that I wanted to bring up was that in 2015, the same year that this um, 
playground opened, the father, Aaron Schaffhausen, applied for an appeal and was denied. So fucking take that, Aaron, you piece of shit. Uh, I'm glad it's denied. I think it'll forever be denied. I don't know how you get three fucking life sentences and think you're just going to all of a sudden appeal this shit, but whatever. I mean, all the evidence was there. You turned yourself in. You admitted to it. You got the phone call. You know, babysitter last saw you with them. Like, there's literally nothing you can do. And if you're trying to play off the insanity thing, that's already been discussed. It's already been decided. Sorry, your fate's sealed. And you, even if you were insane at the time, I don't care. Like, I've been fucking pissed before. I'm not going to just go and hurt some people, let alone some children, let alone my own fucking children. Though, don't get me wrong. There's been days where I'm like, ooh, you kids. But never, ever in a million years would I do something like this. And then have the audacity to pretend like I didn't know right from wrong. Just because I was mad. Like, get over yourself. I don't want to hear that rage bullshit. I don't believe in that rage bullshit. Unless it's like the heat of the moment rage thing where it's like, you know, you snap and you hit someone. Or I guess in some cases they stab them. But that's one. One hit. One stab. And then you're like, oh shit. You know, that to me is a rage thing. Uh, when people go above and beyond, they're like, oh, I didn't know right from wrong because I was so fucking mad and I stabbed him 87 times. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't think so. Mm, I don't fucking think so. And you, Aaron, sir, deserve every single fucking second behind bars. And I'm kind of hoping that someone somewhere in the prison, if you're listening, prison people, um, is there something with bars of soap with bag in a pillowcase or something you can just beat him with or... Do I need to send you a shank? Like how how do I how do I get this done? Um, let me know. You can email us at dtdimension at protonmail.com. Um, what's the best shank to use? Um, do I need to make it for you? How can I how can I smuggle that in for you? Please sense my sarcasm, as I will not do that. <laughs> However, I'm just saying if somebody else wants to go and do that for me, feel free. That's that's cool. No, no one will probably miss. Well, maybe his parents. I don't know how they feel about it, but I don't know. That'd be a hard pill to swallow. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could get over that one. But yeah. Um. So that is our case today. And like I said, oh, I wanted to finish with the quote because I thought it was perfect for the negative to positive thing that I had been talking about. How they, you know, took such a horrible, dark thing and turned it into something beautiful and bright and positive. I wanted to share the quote from the Tri Angels um, Facebook page. The quote says, Together we can bring light to the darkness that exists, making the world a better place. And I think that is so, so fitting. So whoever wrote that on their face on the Facebook page for the Tri Angels Playground, I don't think that you could have expressed it any better. Um, you know, even in darkness, there is light, and this quote just totally emphasizes that and the situation that happened here in our small town of River Falls. Um, yeah, I just think that that was the perfect, perfect quote for this case, and um, I hope you all enjoyed it as best as you could. I know it's a sad, sad case, and it's very, you know, trying and traumatic, but again, at least something sort of positive came out from this in the end. Um, next week, I'm going to do a case that happened in Hibbing, Minnesota. Um, 
So stay tuned for that. That does not involve small children, so should be good there. Um, if you want to see pictures of those sweet little girls and the Triangles um, playground and that piece of shit, Aaron Schaffhausen and Jessica with uh, her new husband and family, you're more than welcome to visit the Instagram page. I posted the photos up there for you all to look at. Um, so feel free to subscribe um, to our webpage, which is doublethoughtdimension.com. You can email us at dtdimension at protonmail.com. And again, Instagram, uh, Crime Time Tuesday. That The uh, link is actually on our webpage, so you can go there. Otherwise, it's crime underscore time underscore Tuesday um, that you can look it up on Instagram and follow that too as well. Derek? Uh, you can also follow us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Um, also on my phone, I have some iPod or some uh, podcast app called AntennaPod, and it's on there also. So whichever way you feel best uh, listening to us is fine with us. Um, I only had one last question. Sure. Are you sure this can't be linked back to the CIA? Um, I'm never sure <laughs> about that. So I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Why don't you find out for us, conspiracy boy? Why don't you figure that part out? That ain't that ain't my era of expertise here, all right? That's 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 on you. But odds are yes. <laughs> all um, right. Well, take it easy, crime fans. I will be here with you next week. All nine of you. Thank you for listening and supporting us. Appreciate it. Peace. Doublethoughtdimension.com. Uh find us on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a review if you can. Goodbye. Peace. Crime Time Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>